Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello, and coming up on the podcast, Bob Irving on last year's bomber profits, Diana Foxhall on changes to the next whiteout party, Louise May on the Trappist Monastery fire in St. Norbert in the early 80s, and Carol Ladder tells us about the Westminster organ here in Winnipeg, which was almost lost to flames. Please rate the podcast, please subscribe to the podcast, and now, the podcast. Anderson on your radio and also on your radio, Bob Irving, the voice of the Bombers. Good afternoon, Bob. How you doing, Hal? I'm great, sir. The Bombers are doing pretty good, too. $2.6 million profit last year. That's down from the year prior, but still pretty good money. Yeah, it's still pretty good. I think Wade Miller has done a tremendous job, really, of managing the club's finances since he took over, uh, I guess it's about six years ago, and I lose track of time a little bit. But uh, no, I, I think that's an admirable bit of work by Wade, especially given the fact, and I know they put this in the release, Hal, that they did not have some of the major events at Investors Group Field last year that uh, they've had in previous years because those are real money makers, the big concerts in particular. So when you consider that, uh, you know, I think they're doing very well. Well, and I wanted to ask you about that. I heard from somebody that you're not in support of an NFL preseason game here, and I wanted to uh, hear it right from the horse's mouth. You don't like this idea? Well, you know, I tweeted originally this a few weeks ago when the story came out that the Bombers were considering or considering bidding for this NFL preseason game that I, I didn't like it. I thought uh, it was something that just didn't fit in a CFL city. Here's, my, I guess, my bottom line on it. I'm a CFL guy. Now, I watch the NFL, and I enjoy it. Uh, but I'm a CFL guy, and I, I just don't like the – the thought of the National Football League coming up here and putting their product on display. Now, I know why they're doing it. It's to make money. And, of course, Wade should try to get as many events as he can into that stadium, profitable events, and that one, I expect, would be quite profitable. So, look, uh, if it's good for the Bombers overall, and uh, I'm all for it, there's just something about the NFL kind of coming into our backyard that grates on me a bit. You know what, Bob? I like that you are a big CFL supporter. Nothing wrong with that. No, I don't think so. I mean, again, I you know people shouldn't get the wrong idea that I've got anything against the NFL. The National Football League is fantastic. It's the most successful sports league in the world. And I love watching their games, especially their playoff games. Um, so, but I'm a, you know, I'm a CFL guy at heart. I grew up in Regina. I've lived here for over 40 years and I think the Canadian Football League is great, and it'll always be number one for me. Yeah, back to the profits uh, for the Bombers, Bob. $2.6 million this year or this past year, $5.1 million the year before that. doesn't really mean anything different for the Bombers or fans, right? No, it doesn't. I, I think uh, Wade Miller takes great pride in, in running a profitable organization over there. Uh, and, of course, I know he feels very strongly about meeting the financial obligations that they have in terms of you know, paying for investors' group field. So, uh, no, it has no real impact on the fans. It's just uh, the Bombers trying to you know, run a good shop over there and, and show everybody that they're trying their best to meet their obligations. And so I applaud the work that they've done, and uh, I think it looks good on them. But, uh, hey... 
the fans uh, won't feel any impact from it at all. Yeah, and I should mention there was a $2.7 million payment to Triple B on the books, yeah. the fifth annual payment under the management agreement. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the Bombers are, are paying their bills. Yes, they are. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think the one thing that they mentioned in the release was that attendance was down a little bit last year, and the way for them to make more money is to get more people in the stands. One of the things they've done is they've taken over the concessions, and we all know that concessions at sports events are big money makers, and so that's been uh, a real positive for them. So, again, I, you know, I tip my hat to Wade Miller. I think he's a terrific manager in terms of bottom line, and he's done a great job over there. And how do the Bombers do as far as money-making, Bob, compared to the other CFL teams? Any idea? Well, the only teams that release their financial situation are the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Edmonton Eskimos, and the Bombers. How they're the community-owned teams. Uh, the Eskimos do very well. Saskatchewan, of course, makes tons of money. They're the richest team in the league. The other teams are privately owned, so we have no idea what their yeah. what their bottom line is. The other thing I know that the Bombers missed last year, Hal, was hosting a, a playoff game. A playoff game is a real moneymaker for the host team. And two years ago, they had the playoff game with, I think, 27,000, 28,000 people there. Uh, and that's a, a real profitable venture. So not having a play a home playoff game last year hurt the the bomber bottom line a little bit and they'll certainly be hoping that that's different in 2019. Yeah, good chatting with you Bob. We're getting close to football. Yeah, less than a month before the Bombers <laughs> open their mini camp, so yeah. it's right around the corner. Have a good day, pal. You too, Al. There he goes. The voice of the Bombers, Bob Knuckles Irving. Well, uh changes have been announced to the next Whiteout Street Party. Here's Global News reporter Diana Foxhall with details on Thursday night's Jets bash in downtown Winnipeg. There will be fewer Jets fans out at Thursday's Whiteout Street Party, but that's not for lack of enthusiasm. True North Economic Development and Winnipeg Police announced max capacity for the event will be 11,000 people, down from 15,000 for the first two parties last week. True North's Kevin Donnelly says the decision to cut capacity was made when organizers realized the day Game 5 fell on. As it turns out, Thursday night is the night before Good Friday. It's typically a very busy night across the city for police and and the demands on their services. So in consultation with the police, we have agreed to reduce the capacity for Thursday night. There will be a total capacity of 11,000 people in the same configuration that you saw for uh, Games 1 and 2. So uh, tickets went on sale for those yesterday morning and are, as of this moment, sold out. Inspector Dave DeLal says True North and Economic Development Winnipeg have been very open to police input in planning the parties. We've worked with them to come up with a number that we feel we can operationally staff. As Kevin alluded to, uh, two of our busiest nights of the year are New Year's Eve and the Thursday before Easter weekend. So recognizing that we have a responsibility to all citizens of Winnipeg in order to maintain uh, safe operations throughout the city and provide a safe environment for all the fans who wish to come down and celebrate. Uh, We've uh, established a a common number that works for both of us, and so we hope to see everybody down here celebrating in a responsible way and carry on operations throughout the city. But we still don't know what time Game 5 will start, because that all depends on the outcome of Game 4 between the Pens and the Islanders tonight. That also has an impact on the street party, something Economic Development's Dana Spiring says presents additional challenges to work with. We know that there's a different crowd, whether the game's at 
at 8.30 at night or 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So we adjust and, and we make sure that we have enough food trucks, we have enough bathrooms, we have enough spaces for people to get water if, if uh, Mother Nature cooperates with us and it's 15 degrees on Thursday versus the 3 degrees and freezing it was the other night. So we, we adjust as we go and, and we're going to continue to make this party the best that we can. In Aspiring at Economic Development Winnipeg, thanks to Diana Foxall, one of our Global News reporters, for putting that together. So it's already sold out, 11,000 the capacity for street out party number three, Thursday night in downtown Winnipeg. And we don't know exactly yet, as Diana told us, what time it'll all get going. We do know that game four between the Jets and Blues goes at 8.30 tonight. Uh, That uh, we do know. Louise May is one of the founders of the St. Norbert Arts Council. And uh, she joins us on the phone this afternoon. Hi, Louise. Hello, Hal. Hi, thank you very much for doing this. So um, in, uh, you know, finding different angles on this story yesterday about the Notre Dame uh, Cathedral in Paris burning down, uh, somebody this morning on our morning show, The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, mentioned the Trappist Monastery in St. Norbert, and that there was a fire there. Tell us the story. This was the early 80s? Yes, it was, um, Hal. It was the, uh, you know, a few years after the monks had left to build and stay in their new home in Holland, Manitoba. The building and property had been left vacant, and, of course, it became a, a party uh, central for many different groups and individuals. So it wasn't really that surprising that, it eventually came to a fire, um, which as a young person, I was 18 at the time, living in St. Norbert and uh, just a brand new student of architecture, actually, at the U of M. So it was it was quite a momentous occasion for me personally to watch it burn down. Um, huge, huge fire, just uh, quite uh, overwhelming and, and magnificent in this at the same time. So... I can imagine how the Parisians felt yesterday somewhat. Yeah, and I want to go back to that in a second, how this impacted you. But the listener who told us or reminded us about this fire this morning said they thought it was an arson that had never been solved. But you told me this morning that's not the case. No, it had been solved at the time. Sadly, it was uh, some quite young people. Uh, I think they were about 12 to 14-year-old young people. And uh, it was solved. I know that they was some time spent in the Remand Centre for the Youngsters. And, you know, many years later, one of them came back to the site, and I, I met him by chance, and he was quite apologetic. And, you know, I think it was just a matter of chance that it happened. Like I said, many different groups and people had parties there. I know there were fires there all the time, bonfires, I, I want to say, you know, not, not arson fires, but... One of that one took off, and, you know, it was in November. There was no way to pump any water from the river. It was too far from the nearest uh, hydrant, so there was no way to counter that fire. And you were also telling me so, this morning that you have visited the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Tell me what that was like. Yes, I have. I was very lucky on a couple of occasions to be in Paris and spend some time there. And, uh, you know, it, it just broke my heart yesterday when I when I heard that news that... Uh, that it had burnt down. It was a, a really a, 
a beautiful, beautiful building, um, incredibly complex and detailed. So a lot of that will be lost. Of course, something will, new will rise from it. It'll be, I'm sure, with the, the amount of creativity and design engineering in Paris that will be, in, uh, you know, something new will be beautifully taking its place. But uh, that is a, a history lost for sure. Yeah, we just heard from the French president, actually, and he says we will rebuild. It will be more beautiful than ever. And I am just yes. blown away that 24 hours later, a few more hours than 24, but about 24 hours later, already over $700 million has been pledged by billionaires and companies to rebuild. So it's truly wow. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is a, 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 something that I think as humanity we can feel very proud of that we've achieved these kind of uh, monuments and and we have to look at them as as that some something positive that uh, we'll want to continue on into the future for sure. And you were inspired at 18 in the early 80s when you saw the Trappist Monastery burning. Uh, you feel like that took you on a path to where you founded the St. helped to found the St. Norbert Arts Council and you're still on the board. You feel like it had a real impact on your whole life. Yeah, it did, but you know, we I grew up in St. Norbert and I had sort of a privileged position with a couple of in a couple of different ways that I had connections with the monks uh, even as a young person and um and then i was able to through my studies in architecture and then through my involvement with the community historical group was able to you know take a, a real role in uh, in making sure that the property was actually maintained and uh, became both a provincial park and a non-profit organization to manage and continue to protect it so it's been a lot of years, but everyone who's been ever been to the Trappist Monastery and had whatever kind of family gathering or gone to see a Shakespeare in the Ruins plays or what have you, everyone loves it. It's really a treasure in Winnipeg. And even with the ruins burnt and open structurally the way they are, they're, they're magnificent. So, yes, we lose one thing, but we gain something else. Yes, and and boy, I'll tell you, it, it seems like that is most often the case. Tell us a bit about the monastery. What remains? What is there for for people that haven't been? Oh well, the park is um, it's surrounded by the the LaSalle River and the forested ecosystem with a lot of wildlife. So that kind of nestles in this little park. It's just 13 acres in total. But there are the ruins of the monastery building that we've been talking about. So that was the monastery chapel and their monastic wing where the monks lived. And one of the facades is quite large. It's what we would consider maybe four stories tall with a huge rose window, which is typical of that style of architecture and and that would have had a stained glass piece in it but now it's simply open so you can walk through and even handicap accessible come through the ruins into the base what would have been the basement of that building and surrounding areas we as the St. Norbert Arts Centre we have large gardens we still maintain the uh, orchard that the monks planted over a hundred years ago and we of course our building is what the monks uh, called their guest house Uh, so it is a three-story wood frame building in in the French provincial style uh, that is just set back and uh, it hosts many many different groups and public and and, uh, community events there. Louise, thanks for this, and thanks for telling us about it. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for bringing it up, Hal. 
Louise May. She is one of the founders of the St. Norbert Arts Council, and she is currently on the board. Thanks to the listener this morning who texted into the start, Mackling McGarry and McNabb, and said, hey, there was a fire in the early 80s at the Trappist Monastery, and a uh, cool uh, story. And, and again, um, it's tragic that that fire happened in the early 80s, the fire we saw in Paris yesterday at the Notre Dame Cathedral. But again, it's given us an opportunity to kind of look at our history and uh, a great little spot that maybe you haven't checked out that you really should over there in St. Norbert. All right, I want to play for you a little bit of the organ at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. One of the things they were able to save from the flames yesterday. Here's the organ at the Notre Dame. Listen, this is incredible. Fantastic. And here is the organ at Westminster United here in Winnipeg. on the phone now, Carol Ladder. She is the chair of the Westminster Concert Organ Series. Good afternoon, Carol. Hi. Hi, I wanted to have you on for a bit today to talk about the organ there at Westminster United Church because one of the things they were able to save at Notre Dame was the organ. Tell me about the organ here. Uh, well, we have a four-manual Casavant organ. Four manuals means four keyboards, 3,761 pipes, and uh, we also have installed 61 trumpets um, on flanking our rose window in the church. So we have uh, a significant instrument as well. Nothing quite as astonishing as theirs, and I'm sure they're very, very concerned about it. They have five manuals and 8,000 pipes to be concerned about. Yeah, I was going to say the organ here is about half as big, I guess, if you, know, yeah. if you sort of look at it as far as the number of pipes is concerned. Yes, exactly. And I understand, Carol, that the Westminster organ was almost lost to fire a few years ago. It was. In April of 2016, there was a huge fire that many people will remember. An apartment building that was under construction right across the street from us went up in flames. And we were only saved by the Winnipeg Fire Department putting up a curtain of wall of water, uh, should I, I should say, between us and that fire. Apparently, the temperatures of that fire were reaching up to 1,000 degrees The church did sustain some damage, but if they hadn't acted quickly, uh, our entire building, including the organ, would have gone up at that time. Wow, so glad it was saved and so glad they've been able to save the organ at Notre Dame as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know you get organ players from across the world that come here to play that organ at Westminster. Tell us about the series. We definitely do. So we run a three-concert organ series every year. 
Um, interestingly, one of Notre Dame's um, organists is Olivier Lautry. He's been with them since 1985, and he's presented two concerts with us in 91 and 93. So, although, of course, we haven't spoken with him recently, I'm sure he's busy. Um, our next upcoming concert is happening on the 28th of this month, and we're presenting Michael Hay um, from St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. Um, an ex- exciting young artist, a graduate of Juilliard, who performed for Pope Francis on his first uh, visit to the U.S. So, um, as I said, that's happening on April 28th at 2.30. We have a, a very distinguished lineup of artists that we present annually. And, um, yeah, we're, we're delighted to be able to bring those, those um, names in the organ world to Winnipeg artists. Yeah, is it getting harder to find people that can play these organs, these big, substantial organs? Uh, I would say locally, perhaps, but internationally, absolutely not. And the mandate of our series is that we present at least one Canadian artist each year, uh, one from the U.S. and one international. So they come from, from Europe, they come from England, definitely many of our performers have come from England. So, no, uh, we work with a number of um of, of artists, uh, booking agents, and um, we don't have any difficulties at all. Interesting. One thing I heard about the organ at Westminster is that it's probably worth about a million dollars. It not long ago went through a bit of a reno worth a couple hundred grand, but I hear the organ is worth about a million. Is that correct? Uh, no, it's worth actually closer to 1.5 million. So yes, in 2012 uh, was the 100th anniversary of the building, and we celebrated that by sending the entire um, console and some of the pipes back to its maker, Casavant uh, and Brothers and Sons, in St. Hyacinth, Quebec. And that, that, um, at that time, we did a complete restoration and refurbishment of the organ, added memory um, sequences, um, an extra contra trombone, a huge um, bass um, pipe to the organ, and then in 2015 is when we added the trumpet. So, yes, that was a huge undertaking and one we're extremely proud of. And is it true the organ is now electrical as opposed to it air? It is. It's, uh, it's, now, it's now electrical. It uh, still does re- re- um, rely on air to feed the pipes, but the console itself is, is electrical. Very interesting, Carol. I'm glad we've got this organ in town, and, and thanks for sharing a few minutes with us here and telling us about it as we get the great news that the organ at Notre Dame has been saved. Fantastic it news. Wonderful. It's wonderful to hear. Thank you, Carol. Thank you. That is Carol Ladder. She is the chair of the Westminster Concert Organ Series. There's a, uh, on YouTube, if you're interested in the Westminster Church, there's a, a documentary that was done by somebody and it's fantastic like just the architecture and the history of the church and they go into the organ uh quite a bit if you want to if you're a youtube fan like me go and find it it's uh, it's worth watching it's not terribly long but it's it is really really interesting Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.